Turn to John 8 again. My second week in a row in John 8. It's a good chapter. Title of my message is Sinners Saved by Grace. That sounds good. Hallelujah. John chapter 8, verse 1. It says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Do you see this? She was caught at that moment in adultery, and they immediately rushed her out of the scene of her being caught red-handed in adultery. She's rushed out of that scene in front of Jesus. Okay? Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Do you see what Jesus is doing? They're accusing this woman, and it's like he doesn't even hear them. Okay, because they had to keep asking him. If you keep asking somebody the same question, that tells me he's not really paying attention to you. Okay, so he stops paying attention, and he just starts writing in the dust. All right, pretty cool story. It says, Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger, but they kept questioning him. He straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stopped, stooped down and wrote on the ground. You see, he wrote twice. He didn't pay attention. They kept asking the question. He was writing on the ground. Finally gets up. They ask him again. And then he says this statement, Throw the stone if you are without sin. And then he stoops down and starts writing some more. He's got a lot of stuff he's writing here, right? At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. See the scene? Stones fall to the ground. One at a time, they all begin to leave for some reason. Until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us directly today and help us understand this story, Lord. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you speak it through me, Lord God. Hide me and you speak your word, Lord God, directly. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Hallelujah. I was reading a story, and I've got a lot of uh, interesting stories here in my message today. But I was reading a story about 1824, um, an event called, oh, where is it at here? It's called the Fall Creek Massacre. How many have ever heard of that in Indiana? Have ever heard of the Fall Creek Massacre? It was a situation where there was a group of six men and they murdered nine Seneca and Miami Indians. Okay, terrible story. You say, oh man, great story to tell on a Sunday morning. But in 1824, these six men were gathered together and... They arrested them, and one by one, they began to execute each person. And so there was a young man that was there. His name was um, John Bridge Jr., and he was younger than the rest of the group. And um, the Fall Creek Massacre was kind of a, it was a really huge story. The community all were interested in the story. John Bridge Jr.'s dad was very involved in the massacre. 
His uncle was very involved in the massacre. They were hung before him on the same day. And one by one, each one was hung. But there was a lot of debate in the community because this young boy was with them. But how many have ever been in the wrong place at the wrong time? It's like, I know what dad's doing. I know what my uncle's doing. And, and there's this whole massacre. I don't know what caused the massacre. I don't know what happened, but I know that the men who were responsible, the dad and the uncle, were executed uh, for this crime. But there was a lot of ba- debate about the boy because the boy was in the wrong place at the wrong time. There's this whole legal precedent of, well, you know, what, what would he have been able to do, you know, in that situation? And so the boy was charged with the other ones. But they were patiently waiting with anticipation to see if the boy would be pardoned. Because everybody believed that he really, you know, wasn't a part of it. How many understand this story? It's kind of complicated. Legal situations are complicated. And the reason I say that, Jesus is in a very difficult legal situation here. And they intentionally put him there as a trap. Well, this young boy, John Bridge Jr., was the last of the six to be executed. And so he's waiting there, and almost like they knew there was a potential pardon was coming, they waited with anticipation. Would it happen or would it not? Would it happen or would it not? And this young man, according to the reports, had a noose around his neck and was about to be executed. And he had already seen the other five executed, and they even had preached a sermon before his execution, and right at the very last moment, a stranger rode forward, right as they're about to to execute this young boy, and he said, Sir, do you know whose presence you stand? Bridge shook his head and said, No. He said, There are but two powers known in the law that can save you from hanging by the neck until you are dead. One is the great God of the universe, and the other is J. Brown Ray. I think this guy really thought a lot of himself. Governor of the state of Indiana. The latter stands before you, handing over a written pardon. He said, you have been pardoned, son. Now, there's no joy when there's a massacre and somebody is pardoned, because we know This boy was part of something that was terrible, right? But I want to take that out of the equation. I want you to think about, this boy lived 51 more years. I want you to think of the mentality that this boy had because of the fact that he was pardoned. It seems that he was very repentant. It seems like he really wished he would have never been there. I think he realizes I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I think he realized I have a new lease on life. How many know all these things would be running through your mind if you truly knew I'm about to die? And so here he is. Man, his, he, he, he's found out I've been pardoned and I'm going to live. And like I said, take all the negative emotions out of the event and just realize what has just happened to this young man in his life. Because if you can't realize what's happening to him and his life, you'll never understand what it means to be a sinner saved by grace. And my message today is to make you understand that we have been condemned to die. That the grace of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, has pardoned us from death. It's pardoned us from hell. It's pardoned us from a life of sin and the blood that's on my hands and your hands. And if we ever lose sight of the foundation of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, or we never realize what's been offered to us, we're the most miserable of men and women. In order to have a faith like the Bible talks about, we have to understand what God has forgiven us for and what he's given us as a gift. And sometimes, how many of you know, you say, well, I know all this. Man, I know everything about Jesus dying on the cross and forgiveness of sins and all that, but do we? 
Do we need to re, um, sometimes don't we need to go re-ask the question, am I living a life that represents somebody that was pardoned from sin? What kind of life would you expect this young man to live? I would suspect that he would probably not want to get involved in crime again. He would probably not want to be in the wrong place at the wrong time again. He probably would be very, very understanding of somebody that's been punished for a crime. Right? Having been in that place, it's kind of like George Whitfield. He was watching a man being led to the gallows for execution. And George Whitfield, the great preacher, said, There go I, but for the grace of God. How many of you can relate to somebody that's been forgiven of their sins? And yet, we see all through the Bible, there are people like the Pharisees who don't understand what they've been forgiven of. They have no understanding whatsoever. And this story really expresses how our heart should be towards sinners. Hallelujah. Look at her sin for a minute. According to the story here, this woman was actually in the act of adultery. How many know that when you're in the act of adultery, you probably aren't dressed for the occasion of being in public? I'm going to say that in a nice way. Do you think they gave her time? I don't think they cared about this woman at all. I don't don't think they knew her name. I don't think they care how she presented her case. I think they just rushed her in there exactly like she was when they found her, threw him at the feet of Jesus, and tried to put him in a situation. And you say, well, man, how can I even relate to this story? Church, you have to put yourself in her place. Because there's going to come a day when you're going to be thrown into the presence of Jesus just like she did. There's something called the accuser of the brethren. You say, well, good, I'm a sister, so it's not going to bother me. There is an accuser of souls, male and female, and it says he's constantly before the throne of God accusing you and me. And you know, Satan loves to throw us in front of the judge. He doesn't care about us. He doesn't care about our name. He just wants to accuse us and us to be guilty before the law. I mean, no, that's true. And here is one thrown there, a perfect picture of what's going to happen to us one day on the judgment day. How many know that's true? And guess who's going to be judging on that day? The person that's right here judging her. And so Jesus knows that that day is going to come, but Jesus is in another era, a period called the age of grace. Jesus is doing everything he can to love people over their sins. He doesn't want us to be punished for our sins. He doesn't want us to face judgment. He came to die so that we could be saved from that real reality, how many know that? By grace. And so here is this woman, probably half-dressed, thrown in front of him. She probably looks terrible. The scene is awful. And she's thrown in front of Christ. And I guarantee you this is what the enemy will do to you. And some of us act real interesting whenever we're accused of being a sinner. Some of us don't even believe we are sinners. We think we're wonderful. In fact, there's an old saying that's really hard to deal with a girl that thinks she's a 10 when she's a 5. It's a lot easier to deal with a girl that's a 10 who thinks she's a 5. And sometimes we're like that when we're sinners. We're a lot easier to deal with when we know we're sinners. You know, when we're a one and God makes us a ten. Amen. I need all the help I can get. 
But sometimes we don't know we're a sinner. There's a story that I was reading about a... um, Oh, let me find my story here. An English prince. Think about this. He went to a gallo and he was visiting a wealthy king. And the wealthy king says, I am going to grant you the right to pardon one of these men in this gallo. Just decided you have the power to pardon one of these men. And so he began to walk up and down the gallo. He was like, wow, I want to be really careful which one I choose. So he went up to the first person and he said, "Uh, why are you here? Trying to figure out who he might secretly pardon. And the man said, I'm here, but I didn't do anything. And he began to tell him a long story about how he wasn't the one that did it. And, and uh, you know, and it, he didn't do anything wrong. And, and so he went to the next guy and he said, he said, well, why are you here? He said, well, I'm here and I did something wrong. He goes, but it really wasn't that bad. This is very harsh punishment for what I'm doing. And then he went to the next guy and he said, why are you here? And he said, I'm here because I did something wrong and I'm guilty and I don't deserve to live. And he said, that's the man. And how many know when it comes to sin, we all think we're wonderful. Sometimes we forget that we had blood on our hands. Sometimes we forget that we have a sinful nature. Sometimes we forget that God forgave us And we think that we didn't do anything wrong. And how many know that affects our walk when we're not saved by grace? Some of us are saved by our wonderful works. Some of us are saved because, man, we just do things better than other people. You know, we're just better people than other people. And and this is what the Bible means, that no man will be able to boast we're all saved by His amazing grace. And so this woman is a real representation of somebody that recognized that sin has destroyed this world. And it's not the sin of our neighbor and people that are afar off. It's our sin. And so Jesus sees that in front of him, me. He sees me in the form of a woman who is very guilty and a person that has a lot of problems. Is it okay to say, I have a lot of shortcomings? You say, well, I know you do. I just didn't want to point it out. You do too. And God died not only so we could have forgiveness of sins, but God wants to change that sinful nature that's in me. He wants me to live for a purpose. He wants to redeem me. And you say, man, I don't need redeemed. I'm wonderful. No, He died so He could redeem us. We need redeeming. And so this woman is standing in front. And there she is and. uh In her shame, and Jesus begins to look at her, and the accusers are trapping Jesus. Here's the trap, okay? You may not know what the trap is here, but know what the trap is. The trap is, number one, if Jesus says, reinforce the law, okay, then he no longer is a redeemer of sinners. He's not seen as a friend to sinners. He's not seen as a person that's there to reclaim the lost. How many know that? If you come to Jesus with sin and he judges you harshly like they want him to do, how many know that's a Jesus that's going to have a hard time removing the sin of a sinner? The problem with the religious leaders, the Pharisees, And the teachers of the law is they cared nothing about the woman and everything about the law. How many see that? They had an opportunity. They had an opportunity to impose the law. But they had no desire for mercy or grace or love. How many see that? They didn't even know her name probably. They had no decency to even even give her a fair trial. They had no decency to let her clean herself up. They just didn't care about the sinner at all. And if Jesus agreed with them, he doesn't care about sinners either. The second thing, if he were to impose a death penalty like they said, you're in direct collision with the Roman law. 
The Roman law did not give them the authority to kill somebody over a crime. So Jesus would have been seen as a person who is against the Roman law. So another bad situation. There's two really bad situations. And then the third one that makes it even worse is, if Jesus were to say it's no big deal, then there's paganism all around him. And they say, well, he's no different than the pagans because he's not telling people to live right because adultery was one of what's called the three really serious sins. One was idolatry, one was murder, and the other was adultery. And this woman had committed a grave sin. And you say, well, man, Jesus is in a really tough spot here. How many agree this is a really tough situation? Well, you you don't think it's tough. Nobody here thinks it's a tough situation because you're not in it, right? But if you're in this situation, it's a tough situation. So they're beginning, they intentionally trapped him. They said, what are you going to do with him? And Jesus just stoops down and starts writing. Well, this word writing is an interesting word because one particular translation translated that he wrote on the ground. (laughs) I can't even read my writing. It says he wrote on the ground their sins and wrote it on the stones. And you say, well, how does a translation come up with that? That's so far from the original. And I would normally agree, but there's some Greek words here that are interesting. The Greek word that normally is used for write is a word called graphene. Okay, graphene means to just write. But Jesus uses the word katagraphene. That means to write and record. So what's he writing? We don't know. But he's not just writing, he's recording. And so a lot of people think, now get the scene here. He's in a rock and a hard place here, right? He don't have a real good decision here to make. So they're asking him, what are you going to do with this woman? The woman's right there. They're saying, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? They're repeatedly saying it. He kneels down and begins to write. He begins recording. Now we don't know what he wrote. There's speculation what he wrote. Some say the Ten Commandments. Uh, some say he wrote down a obscure verse in Jeremiah that talks about those who went away from God and we wrote their names in the dust. That's a place. Uh, but by using the word record, a lot of people believe that he was writing down there what he uses a word sin. Because he says, he writes, stops writing, stops recording for a minute, and says, he that does not have sin, he that is without sin cast the first stone. And then he starts writing again. Well, here's what's interesting. That word he used for sin there is another unusual word, anamantitos. It's a word, Greek numbers 361 in, the, in Strong's uh, Greek words. And that word means not just without sin, but without of the without the thoughts of sin. He that is without the thoughts of this sin, throw the first stone. Remember, Jesus had already taught in the Sermon on the Mount. When he, remember when he said, You have heard it said of days of old, you shall not commit adultery? He said, But I tell you the truth. If you have lust after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Jesus took the law and made it more extreme. He said, yeah, I don't want you to commit adultery. That's a terrible sin. But I came so that not only would you commit adultery, but I want to help you with the darkness of pornography. I want to help you with the darkness of lust. I want to help you with the thing that's even worse than You know, the adultery is when it's a fully grown plant. But I want to help you with the thoughts. So what was Jesus writing in the dust? A lot of people think he was writing all of their sins of their minds on stones in the dust. 
And they say, why a stone? Because a stone was your charge that was taken to the court. And so, as they began to pick up the stones, he was saying, hey, Troy, there's your stone. And you looked at the words on it, and you're like, see you later. Sherry, here you go. There's your stone. Bob, there's your stone. Lise, there's your stone. And there's your stone. Wow, that'll, that'll get rid of a religious crowd really quick. How about we all just bring our stone to church on Sunday? Jesus came to redeem us so thoroughly that He's not condemning you for the major sin of adultery. He's trying to take the whole roots of the stinking thing out of your heart. And so He's looking around one by one, and you say, well, man, that's speculation based on a word, Chad. It's a traditional historical speculation. But something caused them to leave the temple area one at a time. Now, what would cause that group to leave a good old-fashioned riot? A good old-fashioned stoning. They, they're not going to leave that. They're that worked up. What's going to make them leave? I don't know. You don't know. We're speculating. But I think they've seen the thoughts of their heart were revealed. And all that was left was her and him. Now, he's an interesting one to be left. Because he is the judge. He is the one that can throw the stone. He's the one that actually can do what he said they could not do. Because he didn't have those thoughts. He didn't have those sins. He was sinless. And ultimately, guess what? This woman ultimately will stand before him one day. And ultimately, he will have to condemn her one day if she doesn't. Repent of her sins. How many know that to be true? And they said, what will you do at this time with this woman? And Jesus, knowing everything that she's done, pardons her and tells her, go and sin no more. Jesus is telling, and you say, well, man, what does that mean? That's it? That's all he's going to do to her? He's not even going to beat her with a cane or, you know, not going to kick her around a little bit and make sure she doesn't do it again? Or, But I want you to take you back to the young man with the noose around his neck, knowing that he was condemned to die, knowing that his life was only a few seconds away and received a pardon from the governor. And what Jesus is doing is greater than that. What he's saying is, I am the ultimate judge and I choose to pardon your sins because of my grace. I died for you. And what does that mean? That means that that woman, you know, there's a really good chance that that woman was a slave. How many know most of the Roman world was slaves? Most of the prostitutes, if she was one, was a slave. They were sold as a child, knew no different Every nationality of the world were slaves in Rome. Rome was the great enslaver of people. If you've never heard of that part of the greatness of Rome, you need to study your history. Rome enslaved everybody. In fact, I think it's something like five out of every eight people were slaves in the Roman Empire. This woman had a life, and we don't know what her life was, but there's a very good chance that this woman had known nothing else but that. There's a very good chance that a very prominent person was using her. You say, well, how do I know that? Because he's not there. The same law that they brought her here with, he should have also been brought. The law said bring both of them to be tried. Well, how can you catch them in the act and not bring the other one? So my assumption is that a very prominent person was also there. It's a good assumption. And so Jesus says, today you've been pardoned. You say, well, man, that don't mean a whole lot to me unless I'm the person. Do you know what it feels like to be a woman humiliated, ashamed, caught in the worst moment of your life in front of people that are trying to kill you? And saying you should die on the spot 
And even if she didn't die physically, how many of you know emotionally she's dead? It's what I felt like when I realized that by God's grace, I can lift my hands in worship. You say, man, Chad, I would give anything to worship like these people on Sunday morning. How many have ever been there here where you said, man, I can't worship like these people? You know why you can't worship the same reason I could? Because I was dirty. I was filthy. I had blood on my hands. I was guilty. I was condemned. I'm just not one of those people. How many have ever been there? And God pardoned me. God made me clean. Jesus put me at peace with him through his death and said, Chad, everything you've done in the past, even what I did yesterday, he pardons me and says, don't go do it anymore. I want you to live as a person that's been pardoned and loves me because of the pardon. How many know that? And so now I can walk into a church and I never forget the first time I read it. It may not have been a big deal to you guys, but for me it was acknowledging the fact that my hands are clean now. And when I walked in church for the first time and raised my hands, I truly was giving up. Like I'm giving up. I don't care who laughs at me. I don't care who looks at me and says he's never done that before. I finally said, I I just give up, Lord. I accept your grace. I accept your mercy. I accept your love. I am good enough because of you. And I was a sinner saved by grace. Now, sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget that we were sinners, and now we're sinners that have been redeemed. And we can walk in and we can deal, we can look over a woman like her and not realize where we were sometimes. And this is a really interesting story. I'll tell you another reason why it's fascinating. Because this story, if you look in your Bibles, probably every Bible here, there's quotations or brackets around this story. How many have that in your Bible? And it says, not in the oldest manuscripts. And you say, well, what's that all about? It's an interesting story. It's kind of like the Middle East when you see a real holy site. There's a lot of action around it. Um, That one has a lot of action around it. The third and fourth century, people knew all about that scripture and it was in there, but they still said it wasn't in our older ones. Then you go back to the first century and Eusebius, who's a historian, says, yeah, this story was a well-known story by a man by the name of Papias, who was one of the church fathers, and he was one that was very well acquainted with the first century church. And so this was a story everybody knew. You want to know why the problem was about putting this story in here? There was so much idolatry and paganism in the culture that there were some people that were afraid if that story was told, people would go and sin like the pagans. They were worried that Jesus' mercy and Jesus' grace and Jesus' love was just too much here. And because of that, a lot of people were very skittish about including this in the Bible because he was so merciful to a sinner. How many know that I'm so glad that Jesus, this story of this woman, survived that we can tell it? Because everybody knew about the story. Just the question was, do we put it in or do we not? And I'm thankful that he put it in. And I want you to say, well, what do I do? What do I do when I have a pardon? What do I do when God offers grace and salvation and I'm a sinner? How many know we're all sinners, the Bible says? We have all sinned, all come short of the glory of God. And the Bible says the wages of our sins, not the world's sins, Wages of our sin is death. You say, well, what do I do? Well, here's a couple of stories. I want you to think about them. I got a lot of stories today, don't I? <clears throat> First thing you can do. Listen to this. Caleb Young in a Kentucky penitentiary was in state prison serving a life term but he had been very heavily sentenced for his crime. Oh, I'm sorry. That's my next story. 
This is an Ohio penitentiary. I want to tell you two stories from penitentiaries. Isn't that wonderful on Sunday morning? I could tell penitentiary stories. How many have ever done ministry in a penitentiary? Maybe the only way you can understand justice, and if you don't understand the underpinnings of justice and the fact that we're sinners, it's very difficult to preach the gospel. Because if we're not sinners, we don't need the gospel. We don't need preaching if we're not sinners. If we don't realize the harm we've done to our neighbors and our family and the people we love, we don't need this gospel. But if we realize that this gospel, uh, this grace becomes amazing. I mean, you know, every time I walk in on Sunday morning, I don't know about you guys, but when I walk in on Sunday morning and this guy is able to worship God with clean hands, that's amazing to me. It's amazing grace, and it gets more amazing every year older that I grow. How many are like that? And that's what God wants us to have. But this story was about a man. It says, uh, it came to the end of an administration. How many know at the end of administration, one of the last things they do is hand out pardons? And so they'll have several candidates, and if somebody looks like they have a harsh sentence, a lot of times they will hand them a pardon. And so they have an ability to pardon certain people. Well, they went into an Ohio penitentiary, and I want you to think about this really carefully. And as they came in the penitentiary, they said all of the names of those who were selected. Well, one man by the name of Reuben Johnson would not come forward. They read the names. Reuben Johnson would not come forward. It says, nobody responded when his name was called. The chaplain directed his attention toward Johnson and said, Reuben, it's you, come on. But the man looked behind him, supposing there must be somebody else that has that name. Then pointing directly at him, the chaplain exclaimed, that's right, you're the man. After a long pause, he slowly approached the governor to receive his pardon. Later, when the other parishioners marched to their cells, Johnson fell in line and began to walk back with them. The warden said, Reuben, you don't belong there anymore. You're a free man. So what do we do with God's grace? Don't be Reuben. Do you understand what he did? He called his name. You have a pardon. Your life sentence has been taken away. He doesn't step forward because he thinks there might be another Reuben Johnson. He tells him to step forward. He looks behind him to make sure there's nobody else by that name. He finally steps forward, gets the piece of paper. But then when everybody goes back to their cell, what's poor Reuben do? He goes right back to his cell. I said, you're a free man, don't you understand? Can I tell you something? There are a lot of people in church that don't understand freedom. You've been under sin so long, condemnation so long. How many know that some people have grown up around legalists like these Pharisees? And they don't understand grace. They don't understand the pardon. They don't understand forgiveness. They don't understand clean hands. They can't come into a sanctuary and say, I've got clean hands. I can raise them now. They're just like this Reuben Johnson. They don't know what grace is. They don't know how to be free. And God's saying, the first thing you have to do with this offer that I'm giving you is receive it. The next one is this Kentucky boy named Caleb Young. He was sentenced to death and he was sentenced to life sentence in prison. They came into the prison and there was a certain uh, activist group that worked really hard to get him pardoned. They went to the governor. They spent a lot of time to try to get him a paper to be pardoned. And when they found Caleb Young in the prison and they told him that they have a pardon for his release, do you know what he said? said, I don't want it. Well, they didn't know what to do. What do you do when you reject a pardon? This case went to the Supreme Court. Chief Justice John Marshall in his verdict said, a pardon is a parchment whose only value must be determined by the receiver of the pardon. It has no value apart from that which the receiver gives it. How many know that there are people in this world 
that have rejected the pardon that God, the God of the universe, the God from the very beginning has had the same message that hell is not for people. How many know that? Hell is not for people. There is an answer for our sins. There is an answer for our failures. There is an answer for our problems. There is an answer for our eternity. And God says hell had to be enlarged because He didn't intend for people to be there. God says, I'm giving free grace, free pardons, free forgiveness, free peace with God, freedom to worship in my presence, freedom to know me, freedom to be my friend. And we have sometimes rejected it. We said, I don't want it. And then we get mad and say, why does God send people to hell? God's saying, I wish that nobody would go there. He doesn't want this woman to be condemned. The accuser wants her condemned. Jesus cares more about her than condemning her. The accuser wants her dead. Jesus is saying, I want you to have life. I want you to have it more abundantly. But what do we do? We say, I'm good. I'll keep my sin. I'll stay in this filthy hole of a prison and I don't want to be free. And God is saying, that's not what you do with grace. Receive it freely. And then there's another one. He's sitting in the cell. And they walk in. They fought to get him this pardon. How many know there are organizations that fight for this thing? And this guy was in prison and he finally, the beautiful words. In fact, the Bible says that the gospel is beautiful words that are setting people free. These are beautiful words of freedom I'm speaking today. Comes into this dark cell, and this young man is sitting in the cell, and he says, we finally have your pardon. He said, if you were to get this pardon, what will you do? And he said, if I get that pardon, I will kill the judge that sentenced me here. He was so bitter, so angry, so mad at the system, that he wouldn't accept a pardon. They heard him say that he would kill the judge that sentenced him, and they tore it up and said he will not receive this pardon. Some of you are in that camp. I'm so mad at the world. I'm so mad at my family. I'm so mad at what happened to me. I'm so mad at God himself. How many have been there? I'm so mad at God, so angry at God. Do you understand God has made a world that is without sin, without problems, without tears, without death, without fear, without anxiety, without worry. That's the world that God had in the beginning and there's one thing that ruined it, sin. So when we say, I'm so bitter at all of these bad things, like not having money for my bills, having sickness, having disease, having death, having fear, having worry, having anxiety, all these things, when we say, God, I'm so bitter at you, you just tear it up. God's saying, don't do that. I'm giving you a ticket to a free life and a world to come that's greater than anything you can ever experience in this dark hole we call life sometimes. God's going to give us hope. He's going to give us hope in this world and He's going to give us hope in the world to come. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Worship team. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. If you'd bow your heads with me, close your eyes. I just, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord. Lord, you've offered us so much, Lord. You said you created everything in this world, the universe, the world, everything, for those who will inherit righteousness. Lord, you made the offer of grace to everybody here, Lord. You've given us a pardon for our sins. Lord, the enemy has accused us, condemned us, tortured us, depressed us harmed us in every way, emotionally, physically. It's a picture of what this woman is enduring, Lord God. But Lord, you're the hand that picks her up, Lord. 
You're the one that cleans her up, Lord God. You're the one that gave her a new life and clean hands, Lord God. Lord, right now I pray for this church, Lord. Father, anybody here, Lord God, that maybe has never known you, Lord, pray that today is the day, Lord. Release the prison doors. Give them freedom and a pardon, Lord. Lord, I pray for the Christians in here, Lord God, that we would be humbled. Humbled, Lord, at your grace. Your grace is amazing. It's the foundation of everything we believe, Lord God, that we were once sinners and now we're saved, Lord God. We were once lost. We're now redeemed. We were once blind, but now we see. Lord, let it be our foundation. Hallelujah. I just want to ask you while your eyes are closed this morning. I'm not here to embarrass anybody. But if you've never experienced forgiveness, you've never known forgiveness and a pardon, this morning I want you to experience that. All of us had to come to that point where we received it. A pardon is no good. A promise is no good unless we receive it. And this morning I'm asking you, if you want to receive that this morning, I just want to see your hand. I want to see your hand this morning. Anybody? I've never given my heart to the Lord. I've never accepted the Lord's offer of forgiveness. And I really want that this morning. That's you. I want this to be your day. You'll never live the same again when eternity is before you. God's hope is given to you. Anybody this morning, just a few more seconds. I just want to see that hand. You've never given your heart to the Lord. Christians, I just want to ask this morning. We're going to close and worship here. Just make sure your heart is thankful for the grace. Remember who we are. Remember where we came from. Remember what the foundation of our faith is. It's grace by which we stand. Our hearts should scream, there goes I, there go I, but for the grace of God. Let's thank the Lord this morning for what He's done in our life, church. Hallelujah. Amen. first night I laid my head down on my pillow and I knew that I had given my heart to the Lord I knew that I I finally came to the realization how many have ever had a New Year's resolution it's like I'm going to be better I'm going to do better I'm going to be so organized I'm going to do everything the right way sometimes that's our hope hope is that we can be good enough and at some point I came to the realization that it doesn't matter how good I am I'm still not good enough that I have to receive him as my Lord and just give my heart to him imagine that young man that thought he was going to die and all of a sudden he's going to live now because of a pardon how every day is appreciated and loved and you want to help people because you are helped and I remember the day that I said I'm not living for myself anymore I'm giving my life to you it's the least I could do and I laid my head down for the first time in my life and knew that if I were to die it's going to be so wonderful because I'm going to be in the presence of God and it's going to be life changed after that things in this world suddenly become so nice and bearable because I've got so much to look forward to in this life and the world to come now and I remember I was one second from dying one time I knew that I was going to die I was drowning I knew I was going to die I had one second left on this earth and was about to die in the ocean from drowning. I was 100% sure I was going to die. 
And I remember a peace that came on me. And I knew that I was right with God. I knew I could take one last look at the world because I was about to be with the Lord and I was really fine with it. I was ready to be with the Lord. You say, man, that's a terrible thing to happen. But sometimes when you're in that situation, it really makes you realize that I'm doing the right thing now. I want everybody here to have that. If you don't have that, then God wants you to have it. Say, well, man, I didn't do it today. I missed my chance. You didn't miss your chance. We're always here to help you make peace with the Lord before it's too late. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We love you. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We're so thankful for all you've done, Lord God. Bless your people, Lord God. Mother, bless this message. We thank you for your grace and your love offer of salvation, Lord. Bless hearts, Lord God, as they think about these things. Holy Spirit, do your work. We ask all these things in your name, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah.